Now, we are beginning a new series, and it's called Who Is This Man? And we know our lives, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, it is this journey. Actually, from birth to death, it's a journey of discovering, really, who is this man. So don't worry, folks. We're not going to cover it all today. But we're going to talk about a particular piece of it. It's, it's called Wonderful Counselor. And this one's called What About Bob? Now, you know that some people consider writing a Harley therapy. Yeah, that's going to the counselor for some men, okay? Better than a counselor to men. So, and I think it is for my man even. But I want you to take a look at this clip from a classic movie about a counselor and his patient. Take a look. Bob, there is a groundbreaking new book that has just come out. Ah. Now, not everything in this book, of course, applies to you, but I'm sure that you can see, when you see the title, exactly how it could help. Baby steps? It means setting small, reasonable goals for yourself, one day at a time. One tiny step at a time. Baby steps? For instance, um, when you leave this office... Don't think about everything you have to do in order to get out of the building. Just think of what you must do to get out of this room. And when you get to the hall, deal with that hall and so forth. You see? Baby steps. Baby steps. Oh, boy. Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps through the office. Baby steps... Out the door. It works. It works. All I have to do is take one little step at a time, and I can do anything. Mm. Baby step around the office. (laughs) Baby step around the office. Okay, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you have seen the whole movie, but it's kind of a classic, and it's really funny. You know, we've been giving out advice to each other for centuries with varying degrees of effectiveness, just like Dr. Leo experienced with his patient Bob here. And we have a lot of famous people who, whether qualified or not, whether professionally trained or not, still love to offer advice. And, and it gets a lot more hits on the Internet than just ordinary you and me doing kitchen table counseling. Well, Oprah is one of those people who's put out a lot of advice out there. I particularly like this one, though, that she has about friendship, and I've experienced this. Lots of people want to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. Isn't that the kind of friend you really want? Yeah. Most of us do. And I had to do this one because I can hear football coaches across the country yesterday and the the night before giving this wise, sage advice of Yoda from Star Wars, which is about to hit the screens again. Try not. Do or do not. There is no try. Right? Just do it. And my personal favorite, though there's no advice with it, is just Lucy with her five-cent help. Isn't that what we really want sometimes? It's just a a quick fix, a quick answer. Well, we're not short on advice, even if sometimes the advice 
we get or we give falls short. And the results that we see in people's lives, myself, my own, and others, can frustrate us. The progress or lack thereof, or the way we own it or not. So I'd like everybody to take just a minute, grab a piece of paper or a device that you can take a note on or a connection card there, and you can use it for this. And I'd like you to take just a moment and write down a current question or dilemma or problem or difficulty or situation that you'd like a counselor about, you'd like to have a wonderful counselor for. Take just a moment. You know, our wisdom and insight into the human soul is so limited, every single one of us, and it's extremely limited if we take time to look at the one, the one who made us and created us. And today, we're going to take a look at an amazing promise, a prophecy, a word for the future of a group of people who are on the edge of crisis. I don't know where you're at today in your life. Maybe you are on the edge of crisis. I talked to some people last service who are kind of living there right now. Because as Jared mentioned, Christmas is no respecter of our story. And stuff happens even at this time of the year. But this group of people that this wonderful promise was given to were on the edge of crisis. And I want to consider with you today, what did this mean for them then when they heard it? And what does it mean for us today? Now in our lives, and the big idea in our whole talk today is this, that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And if we're ready, if we're willing to be honest, we will run to him for his wisdom and direction and help. So before we read Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 6 in a few minutes, I want to talk about a little bit of background of the people that were being addressed by Isaiah And who he was so that it makes more sense for us. So you can turn there now to Isaiah 9 verses 1 through 6. It's in the New Living, uh, but it'll be on the screen in just a moment. You know, it's almost 800 years before Jesus is going to arrive on the scene on planet Earth. And Isaiah is just a young man. He's really on the front end of his career as a prophet, as a teller of what God wants to do in the future for people. He's just on the very front end of that. And it's thought that he was raised in a wealthy home, perhaps even a royal one. And therefore, he had interacted from his childhood with royalty. And in his day, that would have been great preparation for a prophet because that is a lot of the kinds of people in government and power that he would have been speaking to, that he would have been addressing. Israel is at a troubled time in their history, not the first, and it wasn't going to be the last, but they were still a divided kingdom, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah, the result of a civil war years before that was still, the results of which were still in place, and both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had their own king, happened to be King Uzziah in Judah. And it is to this king and to this group of people in Judah, where Jerusalem sits at the center of it, the, the place of power, that Isaiah lived and spoke these words that we're looking at today. Now, the Assyrians 
were a fierce and powerful nation right at the same time. And they were to the far north there. They took over the country or had the country that we call modern-day Syria and a lot of the region around it, and they were looking to expand in a big-time way. And there is one way that they did that in this time. It was to conquer neighboring nations. And they were on the move building their kingdom at others' expense, taking people captive all along the way. They had already marched to the north in Samaria. So Israel had already experienced this this advancement, this aggression by the Assyrians. And Judah knew what was coming their way. You see, when the Assyrians conquered someone, this would mean that some of them would die. Some of the Israelites would die. They would be separated from their families They would lose all of their possessions and their livelihood. It would be stripped from them. They could be deported. And that was a favorite practice of a conquering nation is to deport the, the natives and bring in their own people, disempowering them along the way. They'd be destined to live a life of poverty and slavery and physical hardship, even torture, even watching their children. A mom might look out at her child and know that these daughters were going to be taken by these conquering men. Anything that they wanted to do with them, they could because they were viewed as property. This really wasn't unlike what Hitler was inflicting on people as he moved across Europe. It wasn't unlike what those nations felt if I lived in Poland and heard of his oncoming march toward my country. I would have had similar thoughts to these people, these people in Judah that Isaiah was speaking to. I want you to imagine with me, you're there and you have your family around you. Maybe you're the man of the house, the one who's supposed to be the protector, the one who's supposed to Secure your family. Maybe you're the mom looking out at your children. Either way, you've already heard the, bro- the stories of your brothers and sisters to the north, and those stories aren't good. And the Assyrians are now knocking on your door. Imagine the fear, the thoughts that would be running through your head. Imagine what you would feel in terms of uncertainty. What is our future going to be like? And it's in the middle of that that Isaiah comes with these words in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 6. You can follow along as I read. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory for the people walking in darkness will see a great light. And for those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. And the boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. Isaiah has just delivered 
some really good or some potentially really good news. A baby is going to be born. A child is coming, and he's going to rescue our nation from this big mess that we're in or on the verge of. That's what Isaiah told them. But the thing is, he brings this promise, and he says, in the future. Well, when the prophets spoke these words, rarely did they understand what time it was going to come to pass in. And just like you and me, when we hear a promise and we're in the middle of a crisis, what do we want to believe it's for? Now. We need you now, God, not later. They had no idea that this wonderful counselor that he spoke of wasn't going to be coming for hundreds of years. Nearly 800 years. After all, they need help now. The Assyrians are on their brutal move now to take them over. And yet, that did, Isaiah didn't stop there. Isaiah knew that there was more to this story. Let's think about this for a minute. A baby, a child is going to save us. If I told you that today about your situation, whatever you wrote down there on your little question, we wouldn't think that much differently than they might have. Really? A child is going to save us? Because children, women, and slaves were on the lowest, the bottom of the rank and status in their culture. The pecking order had them at the very base. And a child was seen as dependent, just like we would see him, defenseless. Unable to help themselves, very vulnerable. They were asking for help with that. You see, kings made things happen in that day. Children had things happen to them. But Isaiah didn't stop there. He didn't stop at a child's going to be born, a son is going to be given. He went on to describe the names for this wonderful child. These were names that hinted at a better future. These were names that were only and would only in a Hebrew mind be attributed to God himself. Names that addressed directly the very crisis that they were in the middle of. So you can imagine the hope from hearing that God was going to send a child that was unlike any before him. And he was going to be this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You think, would that bring hope? The first one of those couplets of names for God himself is what we want to look at today. Wonderful counselor. And he will be called wonderful counselor. Now, we're a lot more casual about God's names uh, in our culture. And how we address him than the Hebrew culture was. Um, just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine um, told of her four-year-old daughter who came from her class at church and informed her mom, we call Jesus lots of names. Jesus, God, sweetheart, mom, the queen. Oh, yeah. Mom was wondering, what did they talk about in that class at church? <laughs> you see, those last three names... Mom, as great as she is, is not equivalent to God. Mom, the queen, uh, yeah, those kinds of names. Those would not have impressed Isaiah's audience at all. But this name, wonderful counselor, would have. And we asked the question, what was Isaiah telling us with this name? Wonderful counselor, 
actually two names, not an adjective in a name, as we would think, knowing our rules of English, but actually two Hebrew names put together in this couplet, two names that together highlight the astonishing, amazing wisdom of God, the counselor who is a wonder, the counselor who, when he speaks into our situation, we go, wow, I would have never thought of that. The counselor who, when he gives us the information, the answer, the insight that we need, we go, wow, I never knew that before. That's who he's talking about. That's what they would have heard with their understanding of these two names. Wonderful, Pele, coming from the Hebrew word that means incomprehensible, incomparable, mind-boggling, out of this world. He was a wonderful, extraordinary, incomprehensible, incomparable counselor, unlike any other. And you know, Jesus has been astonishing and being extraordinary from conception to resurrection and beyond. It didn't just start with you and me. It started with his conception. It was A virgin birth, that means the couple had no sex and yet Mary had the baby. And we're celebrating that this Christmas, this miraculous birth where the power of God came upon a woman and gave her the seed of God, impregnating her. It's almost mind-boggling right there. Isn't that pretty out of this world? I mean, sci-fi couldn't have come up with something like this. And not only that, he lived a perfect life. For 33 years on planet Earth, he never made one mistake, never sinned one, never lost his temper, never was impatient. The list could go on, and I find that mind-boggling. I don't think I can comprehend that. I don't have a friend like that. I don't have a parent like that. I wasn't a parent like that. I'm not a grandma like that. But Jesus lived a perfect life. And he went around healing every disease and sickness And casting out demons and preaching the good news of the kingdom. That's amazing. And then, after dying on a cross, taking the load of our sins on himself and going to the cross, dying in our place, three days later, he rose from the dead, something no one has ever done before and something no one will ever do after except for him in that exact way. And then, while he was here and talking to us and sharing with us, he taught things that were completely counterintuitive, things that were mind-boggling to the listeners. We don't even capture all of that because we're more familiar. Just take his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, love your enemies. Uh, Come again, Jesus. What would you say there? Bless those, speak well of those who curse you. Is that what's natural for us? That's counterintuitive stuff, and that's who Jesus is. He has been incomparable, incomprehensible, mind-boggling, out of this world, from conception to resurrection and beyond. And that is brings us to the second part, the second name here that was attached to this wonderful, this incomparable. The Hebrew word for counselor here that means to advise, to consult, to guide, and to counsel us. Now, in ancient Israel, what this crowd that Isaiah heard would have heard is this. Counselors were for kings and rulers. They were not for you and I. He would not have heard a school counselor. Um, Jesus is coming as your personal therapist. 
Um, this is not what that crowd would have heard. They wouldn't have heard that Jesus was your life coach, uh, that he was, as my neighbors put it, their little sign, they are licensed marriage and family counselors. They're wonderful, but their sign says they're relationship specialist. Okay, that's not what counselor meant to who Isaiah was saying this. Counselor, so we're all about helping the king make wise decisions for the nation. In this case, the nation of Judah. And they had a lot of power and position in strategic places in government and in politics. King David himself had several counselors over the time that he was king. And this explains why Isaiah's crowd would have understood this prophecy this way. One is coming from God, and he's going to rescue us, our nation, collectively. They wouldn't have been thinking about me, myself, and I. They would have been thinking about all of us together. Now, we think a lot because of our culture, we are a nation founded on the declaration of what? Independence. We think more about the individual in Western culture. So when we hear counselor, the first thing we think is about our wonderful counselor. But I have good news for you today. Because yes, Isaiah was saying there is a wonderful counselor coming. A counselor for the nation, for nations. But he is also your and my wonderful counselor. He is your personal counselor in that regard. So what makes Jesus so extraordinary and incomparable as our counselor today? We're going to look at four attributes. And when his story, when these four attributes hit my story, amazing things happen. When these four attributes hit your story today, amazing things can happen. So I was thinking about this, and and I felt like the Lord... Wanted to give you a picture today before we look at those four attributes. He wants to give you courage today. He wants to give you a gift of faith today through this message, through who Jesus really is. And it's not salsa, folks, but this is a jar. And the picture he gave me is that we're coming like jars, and there's a lid on. And have you ever tried to unscrew the lid of a jar and it wouldn't come? Now, there's all sorts of advice on the Internet about how to get the lid loose, right? You can tap it. You can put it under water. There's all all sorts of different ways. I'm not exhausting those means by any means. But then when you've tried all those and the thing still won't come loose, what do you do? Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that idea, but that could destroy it. You hand it to somebody else, don't you? Could you try this for me? I just can't get it. And then what do they do? They just open it the first time and you feel like a weakling. Yeah. Well, the picture that he gave me today is that Even though many of you may have a relationship with Christ, we are all in a process of taking the lid off our soul and letting it be fully exposed to the incomparable, the wonderful counselor. And for some of us, he's going to tap today. He's going to work on that lid and loosen the lid that's on your soul because he wants to give you things that you don't have right now. He wants to set you free in ways that you haven't been set free. He wants to give you answers. He wants to give you direction. He wants to give you guidance, even about the thing that you just wrote at the start of our talk together today. And the first thing that we're going to look at is this. Jesus knows everything. I call this the duh 
Okay, but as much as it's a daha, we still need reminders about these dahas because sometimes we don't let that sink in, what that really means. Jesus knows everything. He's more qualified than anyone on planet Earth to counsel us. And when you go to him, you're going to the source, the headwaters, where all wisdom comes from. I've got a drawer in my house, and it's filled with manuals from the manufacturers of various appliances that I have purchased over the years, right? And when something happens with them, well, unless it was something like a huge explosion or something, but when something happens and they quit working in some way, I go to the manual, and I go in that drawer as they're all tumbling out of there and not alphabetized or anything because I'm not that organized, folks, and I pull that out, and I figure out. I go to the troubleshooting section to the manual. Because I read the manufacturer's instructions. And when we come to Jesus, he knows everything because he is our maker. He's the one who designed us. He knows us inside and out. Colossians 2 verse 3, Paul writes these words to that church. He says, in him, in Christ, lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How much wisdom and knowledge are in Christ? All. All. Jesus knows everything about every aspect of life in every facet of life. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're working at your job. Maybe you've thought your problem, Jesus doesn't really specialize in that because he doesn't know much about engineering. Jesus doesn't really specialize in that because he hasn't been a coach. Jesus doesn't really specialize in that because he's not an administrator. Jesus doesn't really specialize in that because he's not a CEO. Whatever your role. Jesus doesn't really specialize that because he's not a grandma. But he does. He knows everything about everything. He knows specialized technical knowledge that's only now being discovered. And he can give you insight and wisdom into your problem. And if you bypass him, you'll miss that. If you leave the lid on because you think he doesn't, he can't help with that kind of stuff. But he can. He says it again more eloquently in Romans, the 11th chapter, verses 33 through 35, when he writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Which of us? would not want to tap into the wisdom and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor, with your gnarliest problem, with your most complex situation. Because Jesus is unparalleled in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and wise counsel. You know, he doesn't have to consult somebody else for a second opinion. Isn't that what we're told to do if we have a serious medical problem? Even if The first advice is good. Do they want you to get a second opinion? But Jesus doesn't need that. He's that good. Jesus is wiser than anyone. There's no situation in your life. There's no aspect of your life that Jesus can't help you with, period. Period. That's the truth. Anything less than that is a lie. So it was Christmas time, and it was the Sunday before Christmas, and Jared and I had decided that we'd have my, uh, my dad and his wife, Bridget, with us for Christmas and with our kids, and they were going to spend the week with us. And they'd come, and it was Sunday morning, and my dad had had treatment for prostate cancer, and the, 
the doctors had assured him, oh, it's slow growing and it'll be, you've got 10 to 20 years. And that morning, though, he just didn't feel real, real well. So um, he stayed home from church. He'd gotten saved just months before. And he stayed home from church and we went to church. And as I was worshiping the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and said, this will be your dad's last Christmas. Oh, my goodness. I began to weep right there in the service and kind of thinking, this is crazy. Why would he be telling me this? But I knew why he was. Make the most of the time, knowing that the days are short. And because he had shared that with me, do you think it changed the week that we had together? It absolutely changed everything. And it changed the next six months because he died six months to the day of Christmas Day. And I was able to help prepare my family, my extended family. And I was able to get us together for a family reunion that kind of shocked all of them. And have family pictures taken. Jesus knows what's going on when you don't. And he'll share that with you if you just keep saying hello. If you just keep showing up with him, the wonderful counselor. That brings us to the second attribute. Jesus knows what's going on and he understands our struggles. Now, when you go to a counselor or a therapist, they have to kind of get up to speed on your life before they can even start. And there's a couple things they do to do that. First of all, they have you fill out pages of information for them, talking to you about your history and your story and your family of origin and the problem you've come with and what you hope to get out of counseling and all of that. And then they, when you come after that first appointment, they hand you this assessment called an MMPI. And I know this because I've done this. And they have you take that, and they're going to share with you and talk with you about the results later. And all of this is for one reason, so that to the best of their ability, they can hone in on who you are and your story and what is really going on. It's like speed dating without dating, okay? Trying to get as much information about you as you can. But, you know, even as well-intended and as great as that process is, it can be stalled out. It has gaps in it. And it particularly has gaps if one or both of the parties going to counseling are struggling, to be honest. I say struggling because sometimes that's a fight. We're not ready. Our lids are on sometimes. And they're on really tight. And so we don't share everything. We share just a version of it. And Jesus has this distinct advantage in you and I's lives. He knows us inside and out. Psalm 139 that many of us are familiar with, verses 1 through 4. Maybe it's new for you and it's good news. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it. Wow, there is no counselor on planet Earth, and we love counselors. We send people to counselors. We've gone to counseling ourselves. They can be very helpful, and they can help be preventative, and they can also help people move forward and get unstuck. But there is no one like Jesus, the wonderful counselor, and no one can get in front of him in the line for counsel and guidance in your life. John's gospel makes this observation about Jesus as he's there being tried by all kinds of people who are criticizing him. It says, no one needed to tell Jesus about human nature. 
For he knew what was in each person's heart. So he knows what's in here. He knows what's in here. And he knows what's going on around us. And you can't get a better counselor than that. So as much as we might want to keep a lid on it, to hide or protect our real selves from him, to put up a mask or build a wall around one little piece of our life, this one little drawer, God, this one little, uh, there's this one little thing about me and my story that I haven't told you about. You can't really do that. Those masks are for us. Those walls are keeping us out, not him. You can only ignore him, but you can't keep him from knowing. I remember when he started working on my lid in a big-time way. I was in the fifth grade, and my teacher, Mr. Dahlgren, he came up. He tapped me on the shoulder. He got down on his hands and knees like teachers do, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, Ann, is there something going on in your family that you'd like to tell me about? Oh, bells, lights going off. Danger, danger, danger. Don't share, don't tell. Keep it secret. Don't open the lid. That's messy in there. What can he do anyway? He's just a teacher. But God started that process for me in the fifth grade. He saw that here's this 10-year-old girl who's sleeping in the car at night on a logging road or the campground somewhere with her five other siblings and her mom, and then returning in the morning to who knows what in order to stay safe, and then going to school and acting like nothing had happened. He knows what's under the lid. And he works to open it up. Not, he's not ashamed of it. He died for it. He wants to help us. He wants to set us free. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 says that he doesn't just know us inside and out and know what's going on under the lid. He understands our struggles. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings, all of the same temptations, all of the same kinds of troubles that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, And there we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. What's he saying? He's saying, I've walked in your shoes. Your story doesn't shock me. And it it doesn't keep me up at night. Okay, God doesn't really sleep. He never sleeps or slumbers. But it still doesn't keep him up at night. He's not worried. That's what it's saying. He's not sitting there scratching his head, looking at your story, going, I don't know what we're going to do with this one. He's not puzzled by it at all. He not only understands, but the writer of the Hebrews makes sure we understand that he has successfully navigated all these testings. So he's the guy who can give us a successful path through our own troubles, through our own trials. I didn't know what my friend was going through. All I knew was that if I brought up Jesus... She told me she wanted to change the subject, and she actually told me, I don't like to think about him. I knew that she was resistant to Jesus, but I didn't know why, but he did. 
because he knew her struggle. He knew that she had had two abortions and that right then, in that moment when she was speaking with me, she was pregnant again. And he knew that she was sitting there in her shame, trying to keep a lid on it, trying to keep the wonderful counselor at bay because that was dangerous, loosening the lid on her soul. But Jesus knew, and he knew exactly what she needed. She needed his love. And that brings us to this third attribute of Jesus. Jesus loves us, and he has our best interests in mind. After all, isn't that the definition, God's definition of love, that you do whatever is best for another, regardless of what it costs yourself? And that's what Jesus did, and he planned that from the beginning, that from the beginning of time, he planned to come and live a perfect life and die on a cross for our sins, our biggest problem, the problem that we all share in common sin. And Paul writes it this way in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the middle of our mess, Christ died for us. In the middle of our rejection, Christ died for us. In the middle of us holding on to our lid as tight as we can, Christ died for us. And this love is just the beginning. That's the thing, folks. There's not a period there. It only gets better. He didn't just die so you can have some ticket to heaven. He wants to set you free. He wants you to have a life you didn't dream of. He wants you to become like him. He wants you to resemble your father. Jared shared recently when he was finishing up Philippians about the rarity of someone who looks out for others' interests more than their own. And Paul had said this about Timothy. I have no one else like him who will show a genuine concern for your welfare. Well, guess what, folks? Timothy did. But, you know, he wasn't perfect in it. But Jesus is. 100% of the time, Jesus has your best interests at my, in mind. And he's always committed to do what's best for you and me, regardless of our response to it. Regardless of whether we're going to get mad at him, whether we're going to reject him because we disagree, because we don't like what he has just told us, what he's put his finger on, he's willing to do that anyway because he is completely in it for us. He never stops pursuing our best good in our lives. And his interest in our story today, his interest in your struggle and whatever you wrote, in your dilemma, in your pain, in your questions, in your hurt, in your conundrums, I just like that word, in our brokenness, is completely selfless. There is no conflict of interest, and there's no hidden personal agenda going on when you come to Jesus with what's going on in your life. It's all about You and me with him. He is pursuing a relationship with us, his dearly loved child. And he wants us to come to him for our sake. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. He says, give all your worries and cares to God because he cares for you. Listen to this promise that David shares in Psalm 32, verse 8. I, the Lord, will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I love that loving eye. Not a wagging finger, but a loving eye on us. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, 
And he has our best interests in mind, no matter what we're going through. This is what my friend needed. She needed to know that she was loved unconditionally. And God wanted to use our church to help her discover that. He wanted us to do a shower for her, for this baby that she was keeping, not killing. He wanted for us to help her financially. He wanted for us to babysit. And it was a process. But she finally took the lid off because she became convinced through the love of God's church, of his people like you and like me, that she could trust him with her life, with her story, with her mess. That's exactly what she needed, his loving commitment to her. And that brings us to the fourth attribute about Jesus that we want to consider. Jesus is committed to us, whatever our problem is today, whatever you wrote down there, whatever your question is. In last service, I just, during the song that Marley and the band are going to come play, the Lord just spoke to my, mind, to my mind and my heart and said, you know, there's people there, and their big question isn't what or when, it's why. Why did this happen? And he wants you to know you need to bring that to him today. Don't keep a lid on it. Don't stew about it. Bring it to the most amazing, incomparable counselor in the world and see what he says. Because he doesn't give up. He won't abandon you today. He's not ashamed of you today. He won't unfriend you. He won't ignore you. Even on your worst day, he'll be with you and he'll guide you. Here's how David put it in Psalm 73, verses 21 through 24. I love this one because this is more of my life than not. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Ever been there? Yet, I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel to a more glorious destiny. These are the words of a person who understood that God was committed to him even on his worst day. And he had learned to come to him with the ugliest parts of his life. So when my friend understood that God loved her at her worst, then God began to lead her through his counsel on a whole new path. And she got married And she has had kids, and she has become an advocate in our court system for kids at risk. Can you understand why that might mean so much? Why she's perfectly equipped to do that? You see, when we ask for wisdom, as she did when she took the lid off, then God is immediate in sharing it with us. He says this, Through the writer James, James 1, 5 and 6. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all and without finding fault. Now, I don't know about you, but if you have known Jesus for any length of time, you've experienced what I have when it comes to his wisdom being received or his guidance being received by me where I can actually hear it and I know what he's saying. You see, God operates on a need-to-know basis, not a want-to-know basis right? We know the difference. Need to know is he talks to us. He reveals his wisdom and his guidance when we need to know it. And he knows when we need to know it better than we do ourselves. He knows when we're still in the want to know it phase, 
And often that is longer than we would like it to be. And what we do in the absence of hearing God speak to us and answer our question, our conundrum, our situation, our problem, while we're waiting on him, in the absence of that information, the first thing we all go to is, what's wrong with me? What did I do? And I love it that James included this. God will give wisdom to all who ask without finding fault. That's the only qualifier he put on that. He made sure that we knew because he knew human nature. That the first thing we go to is, must, I must have done something wrong. I must be off here. Haven't you ever said that to God? God, somehow I'm missing it because I, I don't know what the heck you're saying. I'm just using the language I might use at home with him. There are no dumb questions with our wonderful counselor. So if you have that piece of paper where I asked you to write down the question or you have your device set on that and you want to pull that out and have that in front of you, and I, I just want to run through a list with you. Because the thing is, I told you at the beginning that the big idea is that Jesus is our wonderful counselor. And if we're ready, if we're willing to be honest today, if we're willing to take the lid off of whatever it is you feel you can't bring to him, then he can do an amazing thing. Because when his story, when who he is meets our story, amazing things happen. And he wants to do that for you today too. So I ask you the question, what keeps us from running to Jesus, the wonderful counselor? Well, one of the things that has happened in my life is sometimes I just want someone to tell me what I want to hear. You ever done that one? So you avoid Jesus, the wonderful counselor, because he does know exactly what's going on. And you'd prefer not to hear about that. Um, I have way too much experience with that. Then the second one, I like the idea of asking, but I don't follow through on the advice. There is a wonderful word that was invented for this person who's always asking for advice, but never taking it. Yes, it's up there. It's two words. Ask whole. I know that it is familiar uh, and sounds a lot like another word, but I think it's important to use it because we sometimes become a black hole for God's advice. That's what that's talking about. Becoming a black hole for God's advice will not get the lid off in your life. It will not get you where you want to go with God in your life. And that brings us to independence is the next one. And this is just the propensity we all have. We've been raised in an opposite value culture from the Hebrews that valued the community, not just the individual. We think individual first. And because of that, we were founded in a nation that was founded on a declaration of what? Yeah, independence, all by myself. Sometimes that just takes over, and I let it get the best of me, and I do it, try to do it all by myself. And the next one is, God, you must be tired of this problem. I'm not going to talk about it again. Have you ever done that, given up? persist wins the day. The next one, I've made my bed and now I have to lie in it. Anybody ever done that? Your own stupidity got you there? Okay, I've even prayed that prayer. Lord, I was so stupid doing this. Would you protect me? Would you help me get out of it alive? Um, You guys are wanting to know the stories behind those, but it's real. Anyway, I've made my bed and now I have to lie in it. I have a friend and this is what kept her from God for several years. She made some really poor choices and she was living with the ramifications and she felt like, I deserve this. I did it to myself. He's not going to help me with stuff that I did to myself. Hey, that's the good news. 
This is the wonderful counselor. This isn't the parent or the uh, bystanding friend who's going to wave their finger and said, you should have done it different. You wouldn't be in this mess. That's not how God approaches it. He's so much better than that. And the last one is denial. And denial is a deep river and we all own it. And this is where we're just really unaware that there even is an issue. We're clueless in the truest sense of the word. We don't really realize that we have a lid on something in our life. And today, he's inviting us to consider something different. In just a minute, Marley and the band are going to sing a song that says, the truth sometimes seems... than the lie and the dark seems safer than the light but that's not true folks that is a lie straight from the enemy of our souls the one who does not want you to experience God's glorious destiny for you he is not the one who has your best interests at heart Jesus Christ is and he said that the truth is better than the lie what's inside is better than the lie Jesus is eminently qualified today for whatever you've written down there. Whatever you're going through, he loves us and he is intimately familiar with our stories and gets us in our struggles. He has your best interests in mind and he's committed to sharing his wisdom with us. Don't believe otherwise today. That's who he really is. That's who this man, Jesus, our wonderful counselor is. I would like to invite you to take a moment as Marley and the band sing this song, If We're Honest. And my invitation to you is this, to take a moment with Jesus and think about what is the Holy Spirit talking to you about? What does he want to talk to you about? What does he want to help you with? What's his answer to you?